Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. That rendition of Strange Fruit by the high priestess of prophetic wailing, Nina Simone, speaks to the dark and gloomy history of lynching in the United States. When I listen to the words of Nina Simone as she declares them prophetically, powerfully, poignantly, I'm reminded even today that it's not just Southern trees that bear strange fruit. There are Northern trees that bear strange fruit. Midwest trees that bear strange fruit. Western trees that bear strange fruit. That dark and gruesome legacy of lynching in the United States is a gross reminder of the history of brutality unwarranted in this country. From the time that Africans set foot on the shores of this country in 1619 until this very day, some 400 years later, that history, though not as overtly brutal as it was 400 years ago, but nonetheless still brutal, is still the narrative of this country. African-Americans have endured much, suffered much from slavery to Jim Crow to even now with the senseless murders over these past several years. The name is like a litany of agony. The names are like a litany of brutality. George Floyd, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor. The names go on and on and on. And at some point, the soul of a people get weary. And so many of my people are weary, tired, tired of institutional racism, tired of systemic racism, tired of dehumanization. And the soul of our people cry out for a moment where we transcend the boundaries and the dividing lines that are so dangerous and damaging. We have a legacy of brutality. We have a legacy of harm being done, of women being raped and ravaged. That is the brutal, honest history of this country. And there are so many who would want to bypass it, ignore it, and act as if it is not true. It is hard at times to come face to face with an honesty that reminds you of the baseness and brutality that is inherently woven into the fabric of this country. My people are weary, weary, weary. And the, what you see being played out in Minneapolis and in countless moments in history where we react and we are angry and we are frustrated is because this is not new. These evils are not new. These acts of brutality are not new. This kind of season is not new. 
My people are weary, weary, weary. We know what it means to endure hardship. We know what it means to suffer long without experiencing justice. We know what it is to be underserved, overlooked, undercounted. We know what it is to constantly have your humanity questioned. And so I want to say to my people, stand in the glory of your humanity. Bask in the light of your divinity. Do not find yourself constantly trying to prove yourself to people who do not honor the inherent dignity of your humanity. Realize who you are and in that effort, no longer feel compelled to show that you are human, to demonstrate that you are human. Just be human. And for those who cannot embrace the nuances of your humanity, the sophistication of your humanity, the genius of your humanity, if they cannot handle it, do not give energy trying to prove yourself. It was James Baldwin who reminded us that what people think about us is how they feel about themselves. And if we now live with the burden of how other people view us, see us, treat us, that is not our burden to bear. Stand in your humanity. Stand in who you are. Believe that. Yes, the arc of the universe does bend towards justice, but that does not mean that fatigue is not real and weariness is not real and frustration is not real. It was the mayor of Minneapolis who said the anger and sadness in the black community in Minneapolis is not just because of George Floyd. It's because of 400 years of sadness and anger and anguish and angst and disappointment and discouragement and death and disaster and destruction. 400 years of weariness. 400 years of fatigue. 400 years of bloodshed. 400 years of brutality. 400 years of woundedness, 400 years of trauma. The real miracle is that our minds are intact, that we still have a warrior mentality, that we're still fighting and still standing on the front lines. That's the true miracle. What we've endured may have wiped out other people, but we're still here. We're still here. And the fight continues and the struggle continues. And we cannot grow weary. There's much more I would want to say before this sermon, but I'll close with the immortal words of the late great literary prophet, Toni Morrison. And she declares and writes, and oh, my people out yonder, hear me. They do not love your neck unnoosed and straight. So love your neck. Put a hand on it. Grace it. Stroke it and hold it up. Love your neck. Put a hand on it. Grace it. Stroke it and hold it up. Because at the end of the day, our humanity will speak for itself. I believe that. I know that. And I trust that. We are an ever-evolving community, 
of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. In light of everything that is happening in our country right now, I want to lift a line, a passage of scripture that I think speaks to this moment, speaks to this season. It is found in the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. Luke 10, 29 through 37. And here's how it reads. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we honor you for this day. God, in the midst of so much social and political turmoil and upheaval. Remind us, O oh God, of your enduring presence, your sustaining power, and the covering of your love. God, we thank you today. There's so many times along this journey we could have lost our minds. So many times along this journey, O oh God, we could have given up, but every step of the way, you keep on, oh God, reminding us of who we are and who we belong to. We are your children. And God, we say thank you. Now, oh God, may the words that you declare on today, the collective meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our strength. You are our rock. And you are our redeemer. And we say, amen. I want to read that passage of scripture again in your hearing. Luke 10, verses 29 through 37. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. 
Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, and that being the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. We have been in these affirmation sermons, this series of affirmation, the I am's. We talked about I am a warrior. I am a storm stiller. I am a bridge builder. I am a love revolutionary. I am a love giver. I am resilient. And today, today, in light of everything that is going on in our country, I am your neighbor. I am your neighbor. This scene begins powerfully. By the time you get to verse 29 of Luke 10, a scene has already played itself out in the previous few verses. It said that a lawyer wanting to test Jesus approaches Jesus and asks him, teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you're knowledgeable of the law. You tell me, how does it read? The lawyer said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That lawyer, when he responded to Jesus' question, and I love this because the man, the lawyer asked Jesus, uh, how am I to inherit eternal life? And Jesus does not answer. He asked the lawyer who should have been knowledgeable of both the law, civil and religious, because in Jewish culture at that time, there's no distinction between civil or religious law. So Jesus flips it and asks him the question. You tell me, what does the law say? How does it read? The man answered and his answer was really a quote from uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 5 and Leviticus 19 and 18. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus's response was clear. You answer right. Now go and do it and you will live. Notice Jesus's answer. He doesn't say, you know it. You've said it well, and now you have eternal life. He said, no, you've answered correctly. Now go and do it, and you will live. Not inherit eternal life, but you will live. What good is it thinking about eternal life? What good is it thinking about the beyond if you cannot live here and now? And living here is not just about breathing and existing. It's about living in the expansiveness, in the abundance of life. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said, good, I'm glad you know it, but now do it, execute. Don't just tell me about it. Let it be the way you live your life. And in doing that, you will truly live, not inherit eternal life, but you will truly live. And even as a lawyer quotes those scriptures and Jesus says, you answer correctly. Look at what he said again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. In that very moment, the man answered his own question. Jesus affirmed him in his answer. And he made it clear that living and life is about loving. That living is about loving. That living is about loving. Not hating. Not being bigoted. Not being prejudiced. Not setting boundaries. Not restricting people's humanity. Living is about loving. And the love that is expressed in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 is a love that encompasses loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's a dangerous thing. And we think that somehow we can lay claim to loving God without loving neighbor. It is a dangerous thing when there are countless people who claim to be Christians, and I speak clearly, who claim to be Christians, because just because you wear a title doesn't mean you live the life. Just because you wear a title doesn't mean that your heart has been transformed and your heart has been converted. And the tragedy is too many people who wear the title of Christian are guilty of some of the most heinous acts Acts connected to hate and brutality. People who claim to be Christian held other human beings as slaves. People who claim to be Christian burned crosses. People who claim to be Christian lynched African-Americans who claim to love God, who claim to believe in Jesus. But saying it in theory does not mean you have executed it in your practice. That is why Jesus said, good, do it, do it. Don't tell me you love God, show me. Don't tell me you love your neighbor, show me. Don't even tell me you love yourself, show me what self-love looks like. Because if you can love God and love yourself and love your neighbor, if you can love God and love your neighbor and love yourself, then you will begin to live because living is loving and loving is living. That is the task that is before us even now. What this world needs are people who take love seriously, who have transcendent visions and narratives of what this world can be, what this nation can be. If we truly live with the ethos of love, we will be living. Jesus said to the man, do it and you will live. Be about it and you will live. And then the lawyer must have been perturbed by Jesus's words, because Jesus flipped it on him. In the next line in verse 29 of chapter 10 of the gospel, Luke says this, and the lawyer, the man wanting to justify himself, says to Jesus, or rather asks the question, and who is my neighbor? Jesus's day was a day of rigid social cultural boundaries 
people who are viewed as defiled or contaminated. Those boundaries were drawn. Boundaries were drawn between men and women and people of different races and ethnicities. Those boundaries were drawn. And the lawyer wants to know, well, who is my neighbor? In this lawyer's mind, he already has, I'm assuming, an idea of who he would qualify as a neighbor and who he would not. And maybe Jesus perceived that as well. Maybe that's why instead of directly answering the man, Jesus begins to tell the story. The man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus may have sensed that the lawyer already was rigid about who he deemed a neighbor or even rigid about who he deemed as someone who was worthy of his love. So Jesus begins to tell this story of a man who was journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way to Jericho, he found himself overtaken by robbers, by bandits who beat him and who robbed him and left him half dead. You see, in Jesus's day, when he told that story, people understood the danger of the Jericho Road. Jericho Road, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, was about 17 miles. But the thing was that in the 17 miles, it descended about 3,000 feet. It was a route that many robbers would lay and wait for travelers along that way who would find themselves often robbed. And so when Jesus told the story, the people who were hearing this encounter with Jesus and the lawyer were very familiar with the Jericho Road. He says there was a man, a certain man, a certain man who had found himself going from Jerusalem to Jericho and was beaten, robbed and left half dead. I love the language Jesus has used that he uses in this scene. He doesn't say a certain Jewish man, a certain Gentile man, a certain Greek man. He says a certain man was beaten. In other words, Jesus doesn't identify him with labels that are shaped by boundaries and strict lines of demarcation. Jesus identifies the man as the one who was beaten out of his need. He is identified. His pain is his identity. His woundedness is his identity, not the other social labels that could be heaped upon him. And Jesus says a certain man, a certain person. I'll say that even clearer. A certain person, which means it could be anybody. A certain person, George Floyd. A certain person. Eric Garner, a certain person, Breonna Taylor, a certain person, Trayvon Martin, a certain person, Mike Brown, a certain person, Sandra Bland, a certain person, Tamir Rice, and the names can go on and on. A certain person, an immigrant, a certain person, a member of the LGBTQ community, a certain person, a person who's impoverished, a certain person. It could be anybody whose need determined the identity, whose damage and woundedness determined the identity. And Jesus said a certain person, a certain man, found himself going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell upon thieves who beat him and left him half dead, damaged, wounded, in trauma, hurting, bleeding, bruised, half dead. And then Jesus' story turns. It gives a glimmer of hope. A priest is passing by. When he saw the man, saw the condition, passed by him, crossed on to the other side. Hope dashed. Then there was a Levite who came along the road who did the same as a priest. He saw the man. He saw his condition. And he 
crossed over and passed by. When the hearers of Jesus' story heard that, they must have been highly offended and appalled. Because Jesus says there are two persons who pass by this man in need. Two people you would have expected to think differently. Two people you would have expected to do differently. Here was a priest, the interpreter of the law, the leader in the synagogue, who was the mediator between the people and God. And when the priest saw the man wounded and damaged, self-preservation kicked in. And he decided instead of helping the man, he crossed over and avoided the man. He crossed over to the other side. He passed the man by. And then there was the Levite. The Levites were those who sometimes sung the Psalms in the synagogue and sometimes were those who would serve as guards. But all the time, they were the carriers of the sacred symbols, those who would carry the ark, those who would carry the symbols in the synagogue. They held the sacred things, but apparently this Levite did not see this man's hurt, damaged wound as sacred. He held sacred things, but he could not heal a wounded life. And that Levite passed by as well. People who you would have expected to think differently just pass by the agony. It makes me think now, as I said earlier, of so many people who claim to be Christian. And I always make that distinction. FCBC family, you know well, I make that distinction between being a Christian and a follower of the carpenter. There are a whole lot of Christians who, who, who wear the label, who, who identify with the badge, but who do not take the teachings of the carpenter seriously. There are countless Christians, even today, who support policies that maintain poverty in underserved communities. There are certain Christians today who don't feel a commitment to help the stranger, those who are in need, those who are wounded. There are certain Christians today who identify as Christians, who may identify as evangelical and the like. Certain Christians today who have done the same things that the priest and the Levite did, they simply see the hurt, see the wound, see the damage, see the brutality, see the injustice, see the racism, see the classism, see the uh, uh, sexism, see the transphobia and the homophobia, and they simply pass on the other side and somehow think that they're doing service to their identity as a Christian. No, in our culture, there are a whole lot of people who say they love the Lord and a whole lot of people who use the name of Jesus as a tagline to their insanity, but who can pass by damage in broken places, who can ignore wounded and hurt people. They simply pass by. In fact, that passing by really should be the mark of identification with those who practice, or rather, who don't practice what they preach. I know it is harsh to say, but it is the truth in this country and in this world, but in this country in particular, where so many people who claim to be Christians do not honor the carpenter, who simply use their Christianity as a way to identify where the commitments are deeper than their faith. Their commitments are about their politics and their policies. Their commitments are about their race and their alliances, not about the teachings of the carpenter. And what do they do? They just pass by. Jesus then shifts the story from the priest and the Levite and then makes the hero of the story the one who they were not prepared to hear. 
You see, Samaritans were viewed as defiled people. They were enemies of the Jews at the time because they were a, 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 a mixed breed of people in their minds who were the products of mixed marriages of, of Hebrews who had had relationships, Jews with people outside of their race. And so they viewed Samaritans with disdain and contempt. And Jesus said, but then a Samaritan passes by. Look at how this story would have been offensive to some who heard it. The priest passed by, the Levite passed by, but the one who has been looked down upon by the priests and even the Levites, the Samaritan. It said when he saw the man damaged, wounded, and half dead, he was moved with pity. He comes to the man. He seeks to treat his wounds with wine and oil, and he bandages the man. He puts the man on his own horse, and he takes the man to an end. He takes care of him through the night, and the next day when he leaves, he gives money, and then he, he tells him, he says, when I return, if you had to spend more than I give you, I'll repay you. Think about that. It's not that he just helped a man and took him to the end. He made a declaration, when I come back, when I come back to check, because it's not just temporary engagement with those who are damaged, but it's sustained engagement. He had made a commitment. When I come back to check on him, when I come back to see about him, if you have to spend more than what I've given, I'll give that to you. The Samaritan didn't know him. All he saw was the need. He did not see his race. He did not see his class. He did not see his gender. He did not see his sexuality. He did not see his ethnicity. He simply saw someone in need. And instead of letting boundaries define his action, instead of letting limitation or prejudice or bigotry define his action, he let the man's need define his action. When Jesus told this story, he then looked at the lawyer. He tried to test him. He tried to justify himself before Jesus. And in classic carpenter fashion, Jesus said, now, you wanted to know who is your neighbor. I now ask you, of the three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, who was the neighbor? And the lawyer, the lawyer's answer was strangely profound. He didn't say the Samaritan. He said the one who showed mercy. The one. And the one who shows mercy can be anybody. So it's not about the labels. How do you identify for Jesus that makes you a neighbor? It is your ability to show mercy. When you see me, what do you see? That may be the question you have to ask some people who can't get past what you look like, who can't get past what they see, who can only see me and see a black man, who can only see me and, and all my sisters and my brothers and see a, a, a Latino man or a transgender person or a, a, a LGBTQ person or a poor person. No, no. No, what do you see? If you claim to follow the teaching of Jesus, what you see and all the peoples you encounter are not strangers, but neighbors. I am 
your neighbor? And how do you treat your neighbor? How do you treat the one who's wounded, who's damaged, who's bruised, who's hurting, who's agonizing, crying out after 400 years of oppression, crying out after being overlooked and ostracized and dehumanized and marginalized and castigated and castrated and raped and ravaged? How do you treat that person? You show them mercy. Because if you love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, mercy rolls from your heart. Mercy rolls from your lips. Mercy exudes from your very being. That's how you treat your neighbor. You do not put your knee in your neighbor's neck. You do not choke your neighbor to death. You do not recklessly shoot your neighbor. You do not recklessly endanger your neighbor. You show mercy. You show mercy. You show mercy. I am your neighbor. You are my neighbor. If I claim to love God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. I must love my neighbor as myself. That is the charge today. That is what we are called to do. That is who we are called to be. If we are human, we show mercy. I am your neighbor. Let's pray. God, we thank you today. And we honor you today, oh God, for how even in this season, you're reminding us of mercy. We thank you, God, because trees still bear strange fruit, but your love, your presence reminds us of our possibility and that all is not lost. We are your hands, God. We are your eyes, God, and we are those who demonstrate your love. Thank you for trusting us with this high calling. We thank you, God. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Family, pray for this country that one day it will come to itself and we will rid this country, this world of the bigotry and the racism and the brutality and the hatred. And I pray for the day and I believe it will come when we truly will treat our neighbors as ourselves. I am your neighbor. Don't forget to join me one o'clock for a sermon talk back. I look forward to the conversation today. 
And again, don't forget, pray for this nation. Pray for our people. And don't forget the words of Tony Morrison. Love your neck. Put a hand on it. Grace it. Stroke it. And hold it up. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.